Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 25, 26, and 27. Hey, if you can, grab your Bible. I'd love to have you follow along and read with me. I mean, this is a Bible study. And uh, make sure, double-check what I'm saying is coming out of the Word. If it's coming out of the Bible and it's coming out of the Word, then that's what's going to change our lives. Because the Word of God is the will of God. The Word of God is the will of God. And the Word of God is what carries the power of God. Carolyn, we're in Ephesians 4. Verses 25, 26, and 27. Ephesians 4, 25, 26, and 27. That's it. We got the comments coming up. I will leave no room for the devil. Hey, Charlie says on YouTube, I'll leave no room for that good for nothing devil. I like that. That's even better. Ephesians 4, starting with verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, verse 27, nor give place to the devil. Nor give place to the devil. Let me read that one more time. Verse 25, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Verse 27, nor leave place to the devil. Nor give place to the devil. Give an opportunity to the devil or leave room for the devil. When you look back at the previous verses that we looked at last Thursday, again, if you missed it, go check out the replay. It's just as good in the replay version as it is the live. And we talked about putting on the new man. We talked about in verses 17, 18, and 19, there is a walk of the unbelieving walk. There's an unbelieving walk. There's a sinful walk. When you and I, before we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, before we, before we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we were in an unbelieving sinful walk. Trip Saint, yeah, I saw that. Someone else sent me a message that there is a fake account of me on TikTok. Amazing. My first fake account. I finally arrived. This is the only original account of the AJ Bible on TikTok. We, we, were had, we had an unbelieving walk. We had a sinful walk because we were ignorant of God. We had no knowledge of God. We were darkened in our understanding. We were alienated from God. We were spiritually blind. We had no connection, relationship with the Lord. But since we have learned Christ, Ephesians 4.20, we have learned Christ, not learned of Him. That was powerful when we saw that. But we learned of Christ. You, you can learn of somebody, you know, you can know about somebody. You can know about your favorite athlete or musician or, or favorite uh, Bible teacher or your favorite relative. You could, or I'm reading, right now I'm reading a, uh, a biography on Daniel Boone, uh, the great long hunter and pioneer of the 18th century uh, that went from Pennsylvania and pushed his way into Kentucky and, and through all those uh, mountainous areas of the Appalachian Mountains and just, wow, wonderful life. I've always been uh, amazed by Pioneers, especially Daniel Boone, um, was it uh, Simon Kent? 
I believe if I get the uh, name correct, uh, you know, Jim Bowie, Davy Crockett, I, I, I don't, I've always been fascinated with those guys. So I'm reading a biography about Daniel Boone. I'm learning of Daniel Boone, but I don't know him. I don't, I don't know his favorite color. I don't know what makes him laugh. I'm learning facts about him. I'm learning about his life, what he did and what he accomplished. But I don't know him. We can learn of Christ, and that's a danger. Don't learn of Christ. Don't just learn of Christ. Don't just know Christ in facts, figures, dates, and events, but learn Christ, Ephesians 4.20. You've not so learned Christ. So when we learn Christ, when we come into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ by way of faith in Him, receiving salvation, receiving really what salvation is, it's getting His life. Our old dead life, we're dead in sin, it's done away with, buried with Christ. Romans 5 and 6 is beautiful. It tells us that we were crucified with Christ. We died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. And so we shall also be resurrected with Christ. And Ephesians tells us, and seated with Christ in heavenly places. And so when we learn Jesus, when we receive His life, we now get a new nature. 2 Peter 1 verse 4 tells us that we are made partakers of the divine nature. It's Christ living through us. Colossians 1 tells us that, that it's the hope of glory. What is the hope of glory? Christ living in us. That's the hope of glory is Christ living in us. And, and so that's, what, that's how we put on the new man. We put on this new man by putting off the old, renewing the spirit of our mind and putting on the new. I say that because verse 25 says this, Therefore, therefore, I'm sure he may not have been the first person to mention this or use this phrase, but in, um, or Derek Prince, an English gentleman who's now in heaven, uh, had a long-time ministry, a British gentleman who grew up and lived, if I'm not mistaken, in India uh, when it was still part of the British Empire. The sun never sat on the British Empire at one point in time. And so Derek Prince, an atheist, encounters Jesus, gets saved, and gets radically changed, filled with the Spirit of God, gives his life to the teaching of the Word of God, and ends up having a worldwide ministry that uh, is without, without a scandal, that is pure, and, and, and ran the test of time and faithful. He would say this, and I'm sure he wasn't the first to say it, but he's the first that I heard say it. Anytime you find in Scripture the word, therefore, find out what it's there for. A little play on words, right? Anytime in Scripture you find the word or see the word, therefore, Ephesians 4.25, therefore, put away lying, find out what it's there for. In other words, verse 25, it's turning the page. In light of the fact we have learned Christ, we have put on the new man, because of this new creation reality, Justin, I love, I love Derek, Smith, uh, Derek Prince as well. Awesome, awesome Bible teacher. Therefore, considering we have learned Christ and put on the new man, we must put away lying and we must put away anger that leads to sin. Now, Ephesians 4.27 says, Nor give place to the devil. And I had you write in the comments, Leave no room for the devil. And the subtitle, if you're on YouTube and Facebook, I think TikTok, I uploaded it. I don't know how it looks on TikTok, the, the, uh, the, the cover uh, page or image, you know, being everything's vertical. Uh, but I put a subtitle, Shutting Doors That Invite Satan In. So today's teaching, Leave No Room for the Devil, subtitle, Shutting Doors 
that invite Satan in. There are doors that you and I, even as Christians, we can open them up and say, hey, here's an opportunity for Satan to come in and wreck my life. Now, obviously, we don't want any part of what Satan has to do. You know, it's like Jesus said in the, la in the last part of his days before he would go to the cross, he was speaking of Satan and he said, you know what, that, uh, the, the, the prince of this world, there it is, thank you Lord, John 14, 30, I will no longer talk much with you, this is Jesus speaking, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Now think about that. Jesus mentioned that Satan was the ruler, little r, of this world. How is Satan the ruler of this world? Well, you go all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis 1, when Adam and Eve sinned, they broke the one law that God gave them. They ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. AJ, you believe that? Absolutely, 110%, I believe it. Tisham 1, glad that you're on and listening. Make sure you share the broadcast. And when they sinned, it opened a door. It opened a door for Satan. Thank you, Dorcas. Thank you for putting that in the comments. That's John 14, 30. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. So notice that. Satan got an opportunity. He got the dominion. The dominion that God gave Adam in Genesis 1, Adam gave it over to Satan. How do I know that? How do I know that's how it works? Well, if you go to Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 19 says this. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. So Paul's saying I'm using human terms of slavery so that you can actually understand it in your, in your mind. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin, Having become slaves of God, you have now fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We can see plainly here that the thing that we serve, verse 16 of Romans 6, do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. So when Adam obeyed, fell for the temptation, fell for the temptation, and he sinned. And in fact, actually, we see in 1 Timothy 1, it tells us, this is interesting. Uh, this, these are things that you pick up in just you know, reading your Bible through. Um, 1 Timothy 2, verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So Eve was deceived. Adam openly, willingly sinned. My God, can you think about that? How terrible that is. Eve was deceived by the deceptive words of Satan. Did God really say that that would happen? And did he really mean that? That's what Satan always 
does. Satan always comes to you and say, does the word of God really mean what you think it means? Did God really say that? Is your Bible actually trustworthy? Are you really going to base your life on the Word of God. Let me tell you something. If you're going to base your word, your life on the Word of God, put an emoji hand up in the comment section. If you are going to trust God and you have made a decision to base your life on the truths of God's Word, tap some hearts on the screen, put an emoji hand up in the comment section, type Amen, because this is the sure foundation the Word of God is the sure foundation that builds a life. Matthew chapter 7, it builds, it builds a house that will not be shaken. Matthew chapter 7, um, hey, glad to have you on, Jennifer. So thankful for you. Uh, it builds a life that's unshakable. Jesus said there were two houses. One was built on sand, one built on rock. The same wind, the same rain, the same flood, the same shaking came, but the house on sand fell, the house on the rock, it stood. And who is the builder of the house on the rock? It is Matthew 7. You've got to catch this. Matthew chapter 7. We're setting everything up. We're giving a good foundation for what we're about to get into. Leave no place for the devil. Matthew chapter 7, verse 26. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So the person that hears the word and ignores it, built on sand. Verse 24, whoever hears these things of mine and does them is like a man who built a house on a rock. So when you hear the word of God and you have faith in it, it's going to change the way you act, the way you think, the way you speak, the way you live. And that's how you build a house. That's how you build a life unshakable. And Jesus said in John 14, 30, Satan has no part in me. He has no part in me. So notice that. We want to be like Christ. We want to leave zero room for the devil. Satan came in. He got one little open with Adam and he stole dominion. And he has been ruling and reigning over the age, the, the world system, the people of this earth. He has been ruling and reigning ruling and reigning over people through deception, through ignorance, through lying, through unbelief, through doubt, and through fear. But when you get with Christ, you then can shut the doors that let Satan enter into your life to wreak havoc. And just like Jesus said in John 14, the ruler of this world's coming and he has no, he has nothing in me. Let that be said of us that Satan has no place in us. Now, what are two? Scripture gives us, now there's, prop, there's certainly more. This isn't a complete, a complete total list. But there are two, two very powerful doors that if you open them, it leaves the passageway wide open for Satan to enter into your life. And we're going to discuss, for the next few minutes, we're going to discuss these two doors that you must keep shut. You have to keep these two doors shut so that Satan has no opportunity to enter in your life. Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, in light of being a new man in Christ, in light of having our mind renewed 
by the Spirit of God. Verse 25, therefore put away lying. Type that in the comments for me. Put away lying. Put away lying. Type that out in the comments for me. Put away lying. Put away lying. Of course, the New Testament being written, some Aramaic and Greek, of course, Kunea Greek, that word lying, pseudos, or like pseudonym, like a false covering or front for something, pseudos, it literally means the lie. Put away the lie. Put away the lie. Let me read this. Brother Dake of Dake Annotator Reference Bible puts this in his note. He says this, This has to do with putting away Satan, who is the father of the lie. It was a common thing for heathen, unbelieving, pagan teachers in this day, when this is being written down, pinned down under the unction of the Holy Spirit, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. In this day, it was common for teachers like Aristotle, Socrates, people of that, philosophers, people with great understanding, naturally speaking, to declare that a lie was better than the truth when it is profitable and less hurtful. Having been brought up in such a loose system of morality, these Ephesian converts needed this admonition, this instruction. Think about that. Have you ever been tempted to lie because you thought, well, you know, if I tell the truth, they're going to get upset with me. <laughs> uh, should I, you know, you ever thought in your mind, wait a minute, should I answer truthfully and possibly get myself in trouble, quote unquote, get up, people get upset with me? Or should I just play it cool and kind of fib? You know, it's not a big lie. It wasn't a real big lie. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, I didn't go all out crazy about it. But the thing about lying is, you ever been in this situation? You tell one lie, what happens? You got to tell another one to cover up the first one. And then you got to tell another lie to cover up that lie. I experienced this actually just yesterday with a gentleman. Lied straight to my face. And I asked him a question that I knew the answer to, that if he were being truthful, he too would know the answer to, and he didn't. And what did he do? He lied another lie, a second lie. And the second one was bigger than the first one. And the next one got bigger than that one. <laughs> That's how it happens, right? It's like the age-old fishing story. When a guy, a couple guys go fishing, guys and gals go fishing, they come back, did you catch any fish? Oh, yeah, I caught one about this big. And then tomorrow, it's that big. And then the next day, it's this big. And then the 15th time you tell it, it wouldn't fit in the house. And that's how lying does. It's like a snowball. One lie mounts on top of another, and it just picks up speed, bigger and bigger and bigger, and it brings destruction. Now, now look at this. <laughs> Jesus is telling us, he's telling us, that Satan is the father of lies in John 8, 48. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. That he's the father of lies. So if we have a new father, which 1 John 1 tells us, or 1 John chapter 3 rather, 1 John 3 verse 1, 
says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world doesn't know us, because it knew not Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And if it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. So you have to think, our Father in heaven, does He lie? Well, no, He doesn't lie. In fact, Numbers 23, what a beautiful, 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 wonderful prayer promise and scriptural promise to keep in your heart and your mind. Commit it to memory. Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not a man that He should lie, nor a son of man that He should repent. Has He said and will He not do? Or has He spoken and will He not make it good? God's not a liar. He's never lied and He's not going to lie. How can God lie? When God speaks, it is. God said, light be, and there was light. So God can't lie because God's word carries creative power. When God speaks, it comes to pass. Well, you and I, when we speak, we should allow no lying to come out through our mouths. We should never, we should never allow lying. Anything opposite of the truth should not be across our lips. And one of the reasons, there's many reasons, but one of the reasons it tells us, verse 25 of Ephesians 4, Therefore put away and lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You and I, Christians, as Christians, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you are a Christian, you're a Christ follower, you're a disciple of Jesus. If you've not, in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you the opportunity to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be made brand new. When you become a Christian, you were brought in the body of Christ. All the Christians, heaven and earth, make up the body of Christ. And it's telling us here, why would I lie to my brother or my sister in Christ Jesus? Because if I'm lying to them, it's as if I'm lying to myself. Why? So, so when I lie, or if I were to allow myself to lie, if I were to allow myself to lie, and, and, and speak falsehoods and speak it to a brother or sister in Christ, I'm essentially lying to myself because we're members of one another. You know, and, and Hebrews tells us that. I, maybe Hebrews chapter 12, but the book of Hebrews tells us that when one member suffers, so does the other. Maybe it's 1 Corinthians 12, actually. When one member suffers, the other member suffers. But one, when one rejoices, the other rejoices. When one weeps, one, one weeps. And, and we come together... Here it is, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27. We've been brought into the body of Christ. We are individual members, but we make up the body of Christ. So we're to speak the truth. We're to speak the truth. And in fact... I was just talking to a gentleman yesterday, last night at Bible study here at church. Uh, he just finished up reading through the Old Testament. We're reading through our Bible uh, from cover to cover here at Gospel Tabernacle as a church family. Uh, I invite you to join me. It's September. If you start now, three chapters a day, five on Sunday, next September you'll read your whole Bible through. I encourage you, if you've never read your Bible all the way through, you need to. And you should make it a yearly habit. It's totally doable. 15, 20 minutes a day, and you can read the entire Word of God cover to cover every year, and it will change your life. But this gentleman he's reading through, 
and we're talking about how long it takes to get through the New Testament. Comparatively speaking, the New Testament, or excuse me, how long it takes to get through the Old Testament. Because comparatively speaking, the New Testament, actually at the beginning of this year, uh, TikTok family, some of you guys will remember this, but I'd live streamed reading the entire New Testament for 21 days. So in 21 days, I read through the entire New Testament live stream, and it took about an hour and a half a day. That was a lot. That was a whole lot of reading. <laughs> it, it was pretty intense. I got pretty, my voice got pretty tired. Um, but you try to do that with the Old Testament, it would take you like two months. I mean, like it, the Old Testament is big. But we need to understand the Old Testament because the Old Testament, one, it's the Word of God. Two, it carries the promises of God, just like the New Testament do. And three, the New Testament is filled, filled with Old Testament scriptures. And verse 25 of Ephesians 4 contains a quote from Zechariah. Now, you might think, how often do you turn to the book of Zechariah? You know what? You might not turn to it a whole lot. Uh, it's the second, what, second to last book in the Old Testament. He's a minor prophet. Zechariah, Malachi, and Haggai all served the Lord during around the same time when the remnant of Israel came back to rebuild Nehemiah, the walls, Ezra, the temple, and restore the law after they had been dispersed, after they had went into captivity because of their sin. But Daniel prayed through and he saw that the time of that captivity was over. And then, in, and then what takes place? Persia takes over Babylon and King Darius, King Cyrus, they're moved in their hearts by the Lord and they send back the people of Israel to rebuild and to, re, to bring up Israel and Jerusalem once again. Well, concerning those remnant people that went back to rebuild Israel and Jerusalem, in their day, as well as speaking to the millennial reign of Christ, Zechariah 8 says this, starting at verse 16. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. That's exactly word for word. Let each man of you speak truth with his neighbor. These things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let no one think evil in your heart against your neighbor and do not love a false oath. For all these things, all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. You might say, well, I thought God is loving. He is loving. But in order for God to be loving, the contrast to love is hate. If you truly love, there are some things you'll hate. Because you realize there are things that, if brought to fruition, will destroy the very thing you love, the very thing that you love. And so there are four things we see here that God hates. He ha the, Anything that's opposite. So, so these things, what are we commanded to do? One, we're to speak truth to our neighbor. Two, we're to execute righteous judgment. Righteous judgment that ensnares truth and peace. Three, let no one think evil in your hearts against his neighbor. Number four, do not love a false oath. Do not love a false oath. Because the opposite, speaking lies, executing judgment that is not righteous, that doesn't promote truth and peace, thanking evil in your heart towards your neighbor, and loving a false oath, those are things that the Lord hates. So the first door we have to close is the door of lying. The door of lying. That's the first door we must close. Is the door of lying. 
Don't allow lying to come out of your heart. Don't speak a lie. Don't tell a lie. Don't lie about people. Don't try to, you know, well, I don't want to make this person upset. Look, you can speak the truth, and you can speak the truth in love. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. If you really love someone, you'll tell them the truth. Now, there is, you can be kind in the way that you speak. You can speak the truth and be kind. And really, if your heart is loving and it's filled with the love of Christ and you're abounding in love toward one another, when you speak the truth, it's going to come across kind. It's going to come across gentle. It's going to come across humble. And if by chance it's still received wrongly, you can lay your head down at night knowing that you did what was right and that you honored God. But most people, when they hear the truth spoken in love, they'll receive it. And if they don't, the Lord will work on their heart. But what's important is you honored God, you honored yourself, and you honored that person. Because to lie is to dishonor. But when you honor someone, you'll tell them the truth. And again, you can do it kind of, I've, I've, done, I've done it wrongly before. Just because, I, just because I may have been speaking the truth, I could have, I've said it in such a way that it did not cause the hearer to be edified. They, they, you, know, I, you, can, you can actually speak the truth in a jerk mentality, and even though you may be correct, you won't be received. <laughs> you know, it, it, but we don't have to do that. We can, we can season our words with grace. We can season our words with grace. Now notice this, verse 26, second door. This is the second door. Second door, swine lord. So thankful that you're watching. Make sure you share the stream. You'll richly, greatly enjoy it. Uh, second door that we must shut. We must shut. I want you to type this in the, com the comments. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Type that in the comments. Be angry, but do not sin. Now, this is interesting. Be angry, but do not sin. Again, it's another quotation. It's coming from two different quotations, and we'll, we'll read them. Psalms 4, verse 4. Psalms 4, verse 4. They're actually both from Psalm. Psalm 4, verse 4. The, uh, that's verse, uh, Psalm 4, verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your, within your heart on your bed and be still. Verse 5, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. So notice that Psalm 4, 4 and 5 show us that if you are angry, okay, you can be angry, but don't allow that anger to transpire itself into sin. Don't allow, don't allow that anger to motivate you to sin. Rather, rather, think about it. Meditate on your thoughts on your bed right there. So in your, in your home, in your room, in your prayer closet. All right, I'm angry, Lord. This person's wronged me. This situation is not right. I've been wronged. It makes me angry, Father. Meditate on it. Then offer up sacrifices of righteousness. Lord, I'm going to do what Jesus would do. I'm going to pray for that person. 
I'm going to show love and kindness toward that person. Well, they don't deserve it. I didn't deserve the love that God showed me, yet he first loved me. That's why I love him. First John tells us that. We love him because he first loved us. So I'm not going to allow this anger to cause me to sin, to say something stupid, or to cause me to do something stupid. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to offer up sacrifice of righteousness to the Lord. And, and, what was that last part of verse 4? I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to trust in God. When you get angry, trust in God. When you want to lash out in anger, trust in God. Trust in God. Now notice this. Psalm 37, verse 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Psalm 37, 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. So anger that leads to wrath, to violent altercation, it only causes harm. You know what? I've, me personally, I've studied martial arts, done martial arts since I was 17 and studied self-defense. And, um, there are so many scenarios and situations that I've watched and learned from. And I, and I would say that, especially for men, especially for men. How many know men and women are created different? If you know that, say amen. Especially men. Sometimes we forget that in 2023. Men can get hot under the collar. They can get hot under the collar and get angry. And testosterone shoots through the roof. Pride gets puffed up, and two men can end up doing, you know, getting in a fight, and someone gets killed. That I think, I think actually, Sifu Jason, who who's been on the Faith of My Generation podcast, uh, teacher instructor at Greenville Academy of Martial Arts. Shout out to Jason, great man of God, love him a lot. He, uh, I think he shared. I think it was just this past weekend. There were two fans at an NFL game. Was it, I remember, I think, the word Dolphins. Maybe it was a, whatever. I don't watch football. Uh, two fans at an NFL game. Maybe one of the teams was Dolphins. Anyway, they get upset, and a guy punches the other guy in the face, and it kills him. So you went to go watch a football game. You went to go watch a football game, and you end up killing someone. How terrible is that? How destructive is that? That I'm sure no one. I'm sure no one showed up and said, "You know what? I think I, I think I'm going to completely end the trajectory of my life uh, by allowing anger to control me, anger to control me, and take someone's life. Don't don't allow anger. Do not allow anger." to cause you to sin. This is the second door we're talking about that you have to shut because anger unchecked is an open door for Satan to invite himself in. Now, what we need to understand this is anger is a God-created emotion. God created our emotions. God created all of our emotions. And you see in Scripture... You can actually see in Scripture that God Himself gets angry. He does. In Numbers chapter 11, I'll read a couple of these. God Himself, He gets angry. 
Let me read this. Numbers 11, verse 1. Now when the people complained, these people are murmuring. These are the people of Israel. They've just been brought out of Egypt a few weeks ago. They've seen the hand of God through the ten plagues. They saw them split the sea open. They're being fed supernaturally from manna from heaven and quail. Literally, bread and meat are being blown into the camp by the wind of God. And here they are complaining. It displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it. Type in the comments, the Lord is listening. Type that in the comments. The Lord is listening. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and His anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them out of the outskirts of the camp. Verse 10, Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout, throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused, and Moses was displeased. Verse 31, But while the meat was still in their teeth, this is when the quail are blown in, before it was chewed, the wrath of God was aroused and against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. Psalm 7, verse 11. Psalm 7, verse 11. God is a just God, and God is angry with the wicked every day. God is a just God, and He is angry with the wicked every day. Now, see, God is just. He's righteous. He's holy. And I already know, you know, people, whether it's on, on TikTok right now or on the replay, people are just going to think they're going to they think they're going to have a, you know, a heyday without. See, He says God's so loving. If He's so loving, why would He be angry? Because God hates sin. And when you, when I was dead in sin, Romans chapter 5 tells us this, when I was dead in sin, I was an enemy of God. I was actively waging war against God. And that brought anger to his heart. And, and what, what brought anger to God's heart, especially in those few verses, we just hit a few verses in the book of Numbers. And again, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord God, I change not. Therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Now think about it. God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can be angry, but 1 John tells us He is love. And the Bible tells us He is holy, and He is righteous, and He is kind, and He is merciful, and He is just. He is all those things at the same time. And... and, and Having anger does not mean he's unjust. Rather, he is just. Why did God get angry? Because of doubt and unbelief and of wickedness. And it brought anger to the heart of God. Now look at this. Jesus, who is God, Mark 3, verse 5, he got angry. Jesus got angry. That's going to surprise some people. Jesus got angry. Look how Jesus reacted. Now remember, the command is, be angry and do not sin. Or as I meant, you know, have it in my mind, just from hearing the King James, be angry and sin not. Be angry and sin not. Notice this, Mark 3, verse 5. And when he, Jesus, had looked around at them with anger, being grieved... By the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, 
and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Notice, let me give you some context. Verse 1, Mark 3. And Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched Jesus closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. Then he said to them, knowing their hearts, Is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But all these Pharisees, Sadducees, chief rulers that are trying to accuse Jesus so, they, they, so that they can come against him in their minds legally and have a, a way to destroy him and say, this is why we had to do it, they all kept silent. They were afraid to speak. Verse 5, And when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Jesus got angry. And when Jesus got angry, he healed a man. <laughs> now notice that. Jesus was angered and sorrowful at the same time. He was angry and sorrowful at the exact same time because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, keepers of the law who should be teaching the truths of God and welcoming Jesus, the Messiah, rather they're warring against Him because they have dead religion. They had the letter of the law but not the spirit of it. They're trying to war against Christ who they should, who, they should be the first to recognize He's Christ. And they're hardened in their heart. They're looking for a way to take them out. Jesus gets angry. And so what does he do? He does the very thing that angers them. <laughs> the very thing the Pharisees and Sadducees are angry about, Jesus does it. Verse 6, Then the Pharisees went out immediately and plotted with the Herodians, Herodians against him how they might destroy him. But notice what Jesus did. Our perfect example Jesus did not allow his anger to lead him into sin. He did not allow his anger to lead us into sin. That's Mark 3 as we finish up today. Mark 11, verse 25. Listen to this. Mark 11, 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. For if you do not forgive neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. We have to walk in forgiveness. So think about this. If we have angered unto sin, we should immediately make it right with the offended party. If we have done this, we need to immediately ask for forgiveness. And Jesus commanded forgiveness. He commanded us. Even if we're doing something like this, praying, we're in the middle of worship. We're doing something very holy, worshiping God, praying, connecting with the Lord. If there's a check in our spirit, which the Holy Spirit's bringing that up, hey, you need to make this right with so-and-so. It would be better for you to stop singing your worship, praise music, praying, leave, go, make it right. I'm Forgive me. Forgive me. Please forgive me. I repent. I shouldn't have done it. Then to continue to be holy in worship and not, and, and not have forgiveness there. Now notice this, as we finish up today, Ephesians 4, verse 27, these two doors, there's, there's more, there's, these aren't the only, 
but these are two big ones. They're, they're big enough and important enough for the Bible to specifically tell us, don't lie, put away lying, and put away anger that leads to sin. Verse 27, nor give place to the devil. Remove all opportunities for Satan to get into your life. Give no place to the devil. And, and, and this word, give place, it's, it's for those that want to know more, like in depth as far as language of the Bible, it's the Greek present imperative, which means, or could be literally translated like this, do not have a habit of giving place to Satan. Don't make a habit of giving the devil an open door. Don't have a habit of opening up the door for Satan to come into your life. And so it's easy to conclude that lying and anger that leads to sin are two major ways that Satan can get a foothold into the believer's life. And why is that? Because these two characteristics, lying and anger that leads to sin, they are they are the main characteristics of Satan. How do we know that? John 8 verse 44, Jesus speaking. You are, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, Jesus, he, he, he was straight to it, man. He, he told you like it was. He does. J John 8 44, you, speaking of the Pharisees, Sadducees, these chief rulers, these people who have hard hearts toward the things of God, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. So what are the two characteristics of Satan? Murder. He's a murderer and a liar. Anger unto sin and a liar. Close those doors. Do not allow those doors. And don't, you know, well, don't try to give an excuse. Well, I can't control my temper. If you can't control your temper, there is no one in existence that can control your temper. Let me say it for the TikTok family. If you can't control your temper, there is no one in existence that can control your temper. I can't control my temper. Then who's going to control it? Who's going to control it? If you can't control your temper, who will control it? There's no one, there's no one else to control it. God, make me do it. If God was going to make you do it, he would have made you do it from the point that you breathed air. When you were born, he would have zapped you and made you do it. God's given you a free will. He's given you a free will. And you have to make a decision. I'm going to walk like Jesus. I'm going to walk like Jesus. I'm going to talk like Jesus. I'm going to react or be proactive in situations like Jesus. And I'm not going to allow lying or anger that leads to sin to come into my heart because what that does is it opens up doors for Satan to wreak havoc. And we're not going to leave any place for the devil in Jesus' name. Hey, I'm so thankful that you joined me. Make sure you join me next Thursday, next Thursday at 11 a.m. on F Gospel Tabernacle YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and on the personal TikTok account over here next Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to get into another study. We're going to move our way into Ephesians 
continuing working our way into Ephesians. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit is what we're going to speak on next week. Make sure you join me. But before we leave, hey, Debbie, appreciate you. Glad that you're watching and listening. Part of the faithful, part of the faithful family. Before you leave, if you're watching and listening or you're watching the replay and you've never put your faith in Jesus and you're thinking, why in the world am I watching this guy talk about Jesus and sharing his word? It's because the Holy Spirit is drawing you to him. He's drawing you to the Lord Jesus Christ. You might think, my heart, I got something turning around on the inside. (laughs) Why? That's called conviction. The Lord is convicting your heart of righteousness, sin, and judgment. And so what do you need to do to respond? Hey, Jeanette, glad that you're on. You need to respond in faith. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We read it just a few minutes ago. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin, the paycheck for the work of sin, is death. That's Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 5 tells us that we have access with the Father and we have peace with God by the blood of Jesus Christ when we put our faith in Him. And Romans 10 tells us that when we believe in our heart that Jesus is the risen Son of God, and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. Would you do that today? If you've not put your faith in Jesus and you want a brand new start, the Bible tells us when you put your faith in Jesus, you're made a brand new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you want your name written down in the Lamb's book of life so that when you leave this life and go to the next, you'll enter into heaven and you'll forever be with Christ Jesus in eternal glory. If you want your sins, every wrong, shameful, sinful thing you've done to be washed clean by the blood of Christ and made right with God, it's only a prayerful, faithful prayer away. I want to lead you in that prayer. Or maybe you did at one point in time in your life, but you've grown cold, like the book of Revelation says. You've walked away, and you want to come back to Jesus. Now's the time to do it. 2 Corinthians Seven te- or chapter 6 tells us today is the day of salvation. Today, not tomorrow. It's not yesterday because it hasn't passed. It's not tomorrow because tomorrow may never come. It is today. Today is the day of salvation. So I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you sent your only begotten Son to die on my cross for my sins. So so that I could be washed clean. I believe he was buried in my grave. And I believe by his life, by your power that raised him to life, it's making me alive as well. I repent of my sins. I ask for forgiveness. I thank you for a brand new start. I thank you for making me brand new. I'll give you all the days of my life. Forever, you are my Lord and my Savior. And I confess, Jesus is Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you're watching on um, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, I just dropped the link in the comment section. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or you recommitted your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, click on that link, fill out the information. We'll send you a gift 
that will help you become a strong disciple if you put it to use. Free of charge, we want to bless you. Those on the TikTok family, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time today, go click on the link in my TikTok account. And if you click on the link tree, it, it'll take you to a place with a bunch of tabs. It'll say, I just got saved. Tap it, fill out the information. We'll send you something completely free to bless you because we want you to be a strong disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, I think uh, over here on TikTok, Jacob said that he could comment. Yeah, of course you can. I don't mute anyone. I don't block anyone. I, nowhere on any of the platforms. You want to comment? I've been called some really great things. I think it's kind of funny. Soy underscore, can't pronounce the last part, sorry, says, how do I get faith? Hey, that's a great question, to which the Bible has an easy answer. That's a great question. A great question. Romans chapter 3, verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So, Soy, how did you get faith? You were born into this earth. And all humanity within them has faith. You have the ability to believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Faith in Jesus comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. But everyone has faith. Even atheists have faith. I don't have faith, I'm an atheist. Actually, you have faith in your knowledge that you presume there is no God. That takes faith. It takes a lot of faith to be an atheist, actually. It takes a whole lot of faith to be an atheist. <laughs> there is no God. How do you know it? Because I believe that. That's called faith. But I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you should too. Hey, I'm so thankful for you. If you've not subscribed to the channels, please do. If you've not followed, please do. Marco says, do you believe in generational demons? Well, demons, they don't go, they don't die. They'll be here until they're brought under judgment. Um, and so maybe you mean generational curses. To which I would say this, there is no curse the blood of Christ cannot break, very plainly. A lot of people talk about that and do live streams and there's YouTubes and conferences and all this stuff. Come break your generational curses. What curse, what curse can the blood of Christ not break? And sometimes, I'm going to be real honest, Marco, sometimes people call bad habits that they learned from their family, habits that have been passed down through generation, they'll call those habits that they're actively practicing a curse. When in reality, if Ephesians 4, you put off the new man, renew the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man, which involves walking in holiness, which is essentially being obedient to the word of God, you'll change what you do. And Galatians 6 verse 7 says, Do not be deceived, God will not be mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So if you don't like where your life's at, the harvest you're reaping, change what you're sowing. But Numbers 23, we read it, but Numbers 23 tells us that as well, that uh, verse 8, Balak, Balaam said this to Balak concerning Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? See, when if God, if you're a child of God, you've been blessed by God. So how 
can I have a generational curse if God hasn't cursed me? If God's blessed me, what generational curse is greater than the blessing of God? No. So, you know, I just walk in freedom. And I encourage anyone else to as well. I don't make light of it. I just walk in freedom. I just believe that the blood of Jesus is more than enough to break any curse. I just believe it. I have not found any devil or demon that is stronger than the blood of Christ. That is stronger than faith in Jesus. Just haven't found it. Just have not found it. Well, hey, I'm thankful for you. I pray that you have a great rest of your day. And I will see you next Thursday, 11 a.m. God bless you. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you. And every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.